welcome listeners to Good Grief, Carl. It's episode seven uh, of The Force Awakens. The, yes, The the Force in this case being the Absolute Worldy Podcast. Hi, welcome back everyone. Hello. Now, before we get on with our Putin Pravda points, those things you might discuss in the pub, our uh, Moscow mules, those players that Carl and I think are going to have bad summers, our Russian roulette picks, players that might sign for a major team on the back of two or three good performances, and of course everyone's favourite hot to Trotsky, the hottest players at the World Cup. Before we get on with that, Kyle, yeah, we've got to discuss the barrier-breaking news. He was a Russian yeah. politician. It's getting more and more tenuous, our name. Do you know how he died? No. So he was a like a, a real backstabber. Everyone was absolutely petrified of him. He used to have uh, women locked, not even women, like girls locked away in cupboards. Uh, I'm getting all this from the film I saw called The Death of Stalin. <laughs> but in the end, he got kind of backstabbed by those he wanted to backstab and they scalped him. Wow. In the, in like a, in the street. Well, this is not how I expected this episode to start, but there you go. Barrier breaking news. Right, so, uh, way back when, uh, I believe it was in episode uh, one, I discussed the concept of Manuel Pizzi, the manager of Saudi Arabia, getting sacked by the end of the tournament. And you jumped in and said, what, before the end of the tournament? And we both agreed, obviously, that wouldn't happen. And it would be amazing if it did happen. Yes. Well, Kyle. What, Joel? Spain. That's right. Spain have sacked their manager one day before the World Cup begins. So we're talking about Spain, the the bastion of stability and success. Yes. Tiki-taka, the thing that you hate. Julen Lopedegui. I don't know, is that how you pronounce that? Apparently, if Borat's saying it. (laughs) Julen Lopedegui. 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 Well, who cares? Has been dismissed two days before their first game. It's un- it's unbelievable. So basically, the 51-year-old uh, announced... Well, he didn't announce. Real Madrid announced, club-side Real Madrid announced, uh, that they were appointing Lopetegui and he was leaving his job with the Spanish FA. However, nobody thought to tell the Spanish FA... Oh, I think you need to... Don't mislead. Not immediately. It was announced he was going to take over as the Real Madrid coach after the World Cup. Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. After the World Cup. So but- he's going to do his job for the World... He's been, tra- he's been readying his team for two years for this mm. tournament... Qualifying he, uh, and everything. He took over from a very successful manager, Del Bosque, yeah. who won the World Cup and the European Champions League, and he did a good job. But then he was going to leave that grac- graciously yes, after this after tournament. after the World Cup. However, nobody thought to tell the Spanish Football Federation until five minutes before the announcement. And this infuriated Luis Rubiales, who is the president of the uh, Spanish Football Federation. And so he took the decision, after speaking to all the players and everything else, to fire Lopetegui, which means that Spain are going into the biggest tournament in football without a manager. They will be managed by Fernando Hierro. Not the, he won't be the manager I of Spain. I think he's He'll like be... the sporting director of, the, of Spain already, but he is a, a kind of last-ditch sending in of someone who has a modicum of experience internationally. He was a wonderfully experienced player for Real Madrid and Spain. And, and Bolton, lest we forget. Uh, under Allardyce. Yeah, Fernando Hierro played for Bolton. So he will be sitting in the chair, but it's not his chair. No. He's really sitting on the Iron isn't. Throne and he has not earned his place. Would you like to hear my favourite response? I would. directly from the BBC website. Well, if it's from the BBC website, it's going to be from... Alan Shearer. Of course. It's, it's really good, this. I admire their decision. It's bold. It's ruthless. I'm pretty sure they must have spoken to a number of players in the squad. I'm very surprised at the timing of it, two days before their opening game, but they still have an excellent experienced squad with some top players in it. Will it affect them? We'll have to see. As a player, I wouldn't have liked it. You've worked for so long with a system, with a manager, and you're all prepared, and all of a sudden he's gone. There's huge attention on them now, huge questions. Without doubt, there's more pressure on the players now. And do you know why I like that quote? Why? Because he says he admires it, and then he says, as a player, he would have hated it. <laughs> so it's a crap quote. It's a terrible quote. Alan Shearer, you're not known for your... Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Anyway, I read about this. Like, obviously, I've, I've been away... Yes. John and I have been apart, which has been, you know, gut-wrenching oh, for us. It's been very difficult. I've been in Turkey on uh, on an adventure. It's been amazing. But obviously the first news I got from it was a message from Joel with swear word hell. Uh, that's just in case we don't want to be explicit this week. Yes. Um, and then I looked it up, blown away. This is the most exciting thing to happen to international football since the Golden Goal. Since the Golden Goal, which we discussed in the last episode. So that was your barrier-breaking news. Spain into the World Cup, managerless. That has obviously nothing to do with Group G, who we're going to talk about right now. (laughs) 
So, Carl, there's obviously only one team to start with in Group G. There's only one team our listeners are clamouring to hear about. There's only one team that anyone wants to know about, and that is, of course, the Eagles of Carthage, Tunisia. Well, who else is even in this group, John? Oh, some no-marks. No. I think we should probably say who. Oh, right, OK. <laughs> uh, so, England. Belgium. Uh, yes, indeed. And Panama. And Panama. Uh, so, I'm going to start talking about Tunisia. Sorry to ruin the joke, but well done. <laughs> The Eagles Congratulate of, me on, Eagles a, of Car- on a terrible joke. Eagles of Carthage. Eagles of Carthage. Another eagle. They're, but also just another African team with an excellent name. Eagles of the Atlas was Morocco. Yeah. Eagles of Carthage. Lions of the Atlas was Morocco. Ah. Uh, yeah. Eagles sorry. of Carthage. Sorry, Morocco. So I'm going to... Uh, sorry, the king of Morocco. Yeah. Uh, Mohammed VI. Um, he has been mentioned more in this podcast than he has been in any other podcast. Probably. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Not the Moroccan business podcast. because no, he runs that. <laughs> uh, so... Here's a, here's a tenuous Putin Pravda point, but I think it's interesting. We have, uh, uh, as this is for Vlad, and we have talked about politics a lot, I'm not going to buck that trend, guys. So, let's talk about the Arab Spring. You mentioned, uh, way back in episode one, uh, the Egypt game that uh, many people saw as being part of the Arab Spring. Uh-huh. Um, did you know that the Arab Spring saw a rise in the performance of the nations affected by civil strife? You're drawing a direct line between uh, social unrest. I'm and... not. Matthew Barrett, quote unquote, a sports sponsorship professional, is drawing that. Uh, ah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, doesn't say. <laughs> and if any sports sponsorship professionals want to get involved in our pod, please do contact us. Yeah, do so. So he concluded in an analysis that Tunisia, Libya, Sudan, Morocco, and Algeria, five nations that experienced huge political upheaval in 2011, obviously, Sudan are not part of the Arab Spring, but still, they had performed significantly better in terms of average points per match following the protests, or in Sadar's case, the cessation of South Sudan. So the six national teams, this is all Mr. Barrett's calculations, they played 53 matches after the Arab uh, uprisings, Uh the Arab Springs, in which they scored 87 goals with an average of 1.64 goals per match and won 45% of all games played. By comparison, the same teams played 60 matches in the year before the Arab Spring, in which they they scored uh, 79 goals, uh, uh, sorry, in which they, uh, yeah, they scored 79 goals, which is only an average of 1.32 goals per game, and they only won 33% of the games played. So what that basically means is these teams were performing better, even though their professional leagues had to be suspended because of war and conflict. I so, think this is all pointing to one thing, John. Go on then, tell me. England are going to win the World Cup because of Brexit. <laughs> Brexit is going to spur them on. can't wait to talk about England, can you? Um, well, yes, uh, we'll, we'll, we will be talking about the same. So basically, this enhanced perform- performance occurs further against the backdrop of a rift in various countries and sometimes between fans. And the majority of these players were either not playing football for their club sides or had left the country, which is an extraordinary thing. All of these teams had an uptick in performance. Maybe it's because they were so desperate to play football that they, when they did come together to actually play... Yeah, and also so passion, a huge amount of passion on the terraces, because as we've discussed before, the, uh, especially in, in North African countries, politics and the terraces go hand in hand. So that's my Putin Pravda point about Tunisia. Loved it. Uh, and the Arab Spring in general. Um, would you like to hear about the actual team? I would, because I didn't get much from that. No. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Quite Where often. is Tunisia? It's North Africa. But in terms of... Uh, don't ask me to do a geography test. Egypt is on the far right. No, I don't mean... <laughs> I don't mean politically. And then next to them, I think, is Algeria? Yeah. Or Tunisia? Uh, look oh, it up, you, guys. Why did you even... You remember those atlases we talked about we let's, had as kids? Let's yeah, get it out. Let's go back to the Sorry, the let's format. get ahead of Tunisia. Yeah, let's get ahead of Tunisia. Putin Pravda points is done. Russian roulette. Wabi Kasri uh, is contracted to Sunderland. Still. Still. Sunderland suffered back-to-back relegations... Uh, well, uh, this season they were relegated, which meant they were being relegated from the Premier League to the Championship and now from the Championship to League One. Whilst Sunderland were busy getting relegated in League One, Wabi Kazri, their uh, attacking midfielder, was on loan at Rennes in France. Mm-hmm. He scored 11 goals in 29 games. Not bad. He played very, very well, and Rennes want to keep him. But if he has a good World Cup, Kyle, is there no, as I, see, I see no reason. He's, got, he's an absolute wizard with a dead ball situation. Free kicks, yeah. corners, all of those things. He's an assist machine. He scores goals. Why? There's no reason why a bigger club couldn't come in for him. And actually, way back when, when Allardyce, when Sam Allardyce was the manager of Sunderland before he left to take the England job, Wabi Kasri was the best player in that team. So I don't see why a Premier League team wouldn't come in for him if he has a good World Cup. I could see him at least staying in the North East. Yes. In a, maybe a, a top championship club in Middlesbrough. Yeah. Even a hull. Even a hull. Um, right. Well, yeah, that's, so that's their Russian roulette. Hot to Trotsky. I'm going to do my best with this. Fakredini Ben Youssef. Okay. He's a striker 
And uh, in an unusual uh, uh, turn of events, he's redheaded. Unusual for a Tunisian. Well, actually not, actually. There's quite a oh, lot. wow, what a striking lad. Yeah, he's got a really interesting look. He looks a bit like Elijah Wood. Yes. Hooded eyes. But like a like an Elijah Wood... Have, there's a film called Bedazzled. Is that about sticking shiny things on your lower regions? No. <laughs> that would be Bedazzled. It's about uh, Brendan Fraser and Liz Hurley. Liz Hurley is the devil. A bit, what's it called? Bedazzled? No. No. Bedeviled. I've, no, no, I've seen that film. Oh, I don't know what it's called. But anyway, Brendan Fraser gets transformed into a uh, basketball player. Right. And he looks just like this guy when that happens. <laughs> okay, so look up the name of the film and what he looked like, because that is, that mean, that is tenuous. There'll be people listening who'll be like, oh yeah. It's bedazzled. Sorry. Starring Brendan Fraser and Elizabeth Hurley. I didn't just look it up. I did. So, I heard, do... didn't everyone else hear bedazzled? <laughs> That's why we were so confused. Anyway, he is a really good-looking boy. Fakreddin Ben Youssef. Fakreddin is a great... Fakreddine? Fakreddin? Anyway, Ben Youssef, who plays for uh, uh, Tunisia. He's he's stocky. He's red-headed. He's got uh, piercing eyes again. I'm a bit obsessed with piercing I'm eyes. I'm looking at a picture of him kicking a Turkish fan. Yes, that's interesting. I don't know what the context of that is. That could have been a Putin Pravda point, but it's not. Anyway, so let's move on from him. You can look him up in conjunction with Bedazzled and see if that... Uh, uh, comparison I've made is correct. Let's talk about uh, the Moscow Mule. I've done the first for our podcast, Kyle. Oh no, what have you done? Uh, my Russian roulette for Tunisia? Same player, Moscow Mule. It's Wabi Kazri again. <laughs> okay. Wabi Kazri has never played a full season of professional football without being sent off. Good. He's been sent off for Tunisia, of course, as well as for all his club sides. Uh, he also uh, assaulted a player, punched him in the head. When was that? Uh, that was a couple of years ago. Um, he was even nearly sent off for kicking Costa Rica's Kendall Watson in a warm-up game. Uh, Watson said, I think in a World Cup match, he would have got a red card for kicking out of me like he did. In a friendly game, sometimes referees can leave it. People might look at that and think he could be wound up. And in football, you have to take advantage of everything. When you know the type of player someone is, you try to do things that might make them crazy and see their team lose, uh, uh, lose them via a red card. England will see what happened when he kicked me and they will try to take advantage of it. So are you saying that he is your Group G? Red card shout out. Shout out, yes. Guys, get that, come on, get these get, bets get on. Get these bets on. He's So Wabi Kazri has the potential to have an amazing World Cup, Russian roulette, go to a Premier League team. He also has the opportunity to ruin everything for Tunisia by getting sent off. And that, Kyle, completes everything I have to say about the Tunisians. <laughs> As the melodious tones of Jurgen Klinsmann triumphantly singing Football's Coming Home, Three Lions on a Shirt. Oh, that was Jurgen Klinsmann? That was Jurgen Klinsmann triumphantly singing that mocking England in 1996 after Germany won the European Championships on English soil. And while it has his melodious tones fade away, it is of course now time for the Three Lions. England. England. Uh, The Three Lions. I mean... What can be? What there's there's a lot you want me to say really about them, isn't there? I think that it means that there's three lions on the shirt. That's why they're called the three lions. But what I want to know oh, is interesting that you're asking, that, you're mentioning that, Carl. As my Putin Pravda point, as I say, you there's probably many things you want to know about England. I could talk about Delhi Ali. I could be, talk about Raheem Sterling. I could talk about a lot of things. Instead, I'm just going to explain to you why they're why they are called the three lions. Good, because I really want to know. So, Lions and England, as a nation, have a history going back to the 12th century. Do they, though? Yes. Okay. When a standard with three gold lions on a red field was carried into battle to inspire the troops. However, where did each lion come from? The Atlas. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's Morocco. That's, that's one's, why... One's from Morocco. One's from Morocco. <laughs> no. One. So, the first one came from Henry I who was known as the Lion of England. He had a lion on his standard when he took power in 1100. Okay. Shortly afterwards, however, he married Adeliza, Queen Adeliza. Of Morocco. <laughs> I don't think she's from Morocco. Uh, whose father also had a lion on his shield. So to commem- commemorate the event that Henry I was marrying Adeliza, they added a lion to the standard. That's nice. In 1154, two lions became three when Henry II, Henry and Adeliza's son, Married Eleanor of Aquitaine, who, yes, you've guessed it, also had a lion on her family crest. Is Aquitaine France? 
Uh, yes, indeed. So one of the three lions mm. is French. Yep. And the other one is probably not Moroccan. <laughs> I mean, this is probably sending ripples of hatred throughout the England supporting masses. Yes. One of my lions is French. <laughs> yes, it is. So I don't know why he's estuary England. It yeah, could be no, from could the be north. Many, I don't know why one of my lions is French. Why is that lion French when we are English? <laughs> There's not many England fans to be like that. <laughs> no, probably not. So, uh, later in that same century, Richard the Lionheart used the three golden lions on a scarlet background as a symbol of the English throne. Hang on, why do we have four if we had Richard the Lionheart as well, well? He's the heart of the lions, isn't he? There's already three of them. That was, yeah, that was Henry. No, Henry was a, the lion. Richard's the Lionheart. Different things. There should be four lions. Well, you heard it here first. Absolute worldy breaking news. Putin proved a point. I forgot that this was about Putin, but this was going to appeal to Putin. He likes lions. He likes warfare. So, after that, after uh, uh, he used it, it became the uh, royal arms for every succeeding monarch from uh, 1199 onwards. So, when the FA formed, the Football Association of England formed in 1863, they it seemed normal for them. To use the three lines because it was the royal standard. Then it's only been changed once, actually, which was when they dropped the crown from the shield. So there was a crown above the lions, mm. but they dropped it in 49. Not because they wanted to get, differentiate themselves from being associated with the royal family, but because they wanted uh, to differentiate the badge from that of the English cricket team, which has a crown. And they have three lines too. Indeed. Well, I am shocked and appalled. Shocked and appalled. Um, what I am interested in is why... Lions, they're not an English native animal. No. We do not cultivate lions and in, and in on this island. And in 1100, we didn't really have the empire, which would explain that kind of nicking people. But I guess we had crusades. Yes, yeah. I just think it's very disingenuous and very old English mm. to have an African-based animal. Yes. I mean, I know that... We get mountain lions in North Africa, in America, but you know what I mean. Yeah. It's a maned golden lion. And the the women's football team is the lionesses. Yeah. Don't mess with the lionesses. I think it should be... Well, I mean, if it had to be an English animal, I would choose the badgers. This is this is now the best thing we've ever done as a Putin Pravda point. Animals that should be, if there was going to be three... Yeah, badgers or three, foxes. Mm, just something more English than... The, the wolves? The three red squirrels. They're, they've been pretty much wiped out. Yeah. I mean, it's a very accurate... The three grey squirrels. No, because that's a North American import. Oh, we don't want that. No. No, we'd rather have African lions, thanks. <laughs> Maybe we should move on. That's a classic Putin Pravda point there. Why are England the three lions? Nothing about the football team. Kyle, I'm going to give you my Russian roulette, which will probably get are you... Are we moving on from Pravda? That's all, that's got all I've got for England. There's a lot... We, there's too many things to talk about. I think we should... We said we would, so we should talk about... You even mentioned it at the beginning as a tease in this episode. Delhi Ali and, Delhi and Raheem. Because we said when we talked about Pogba, we okay. would come back to uh, something a bit closer to home in relation to uh, how players uh, with a non-exclusively white background get more criticism. Yes. All right, then. Well, let's talk about it for long, then, but I think we should touch on it. Okay, fine. So, uh, for those who don't know, Raheem Sterling, uh, he's 21, I believe. I think he's 21 20, or 22. 21 or 22. Manchester City player signed for them a couple of seasons ago from Liverpool for £54 million. Pounds. He had, uh, on his Instagram page this summer before the World Cup, revealed a tattoo of a gun. Um, a machine gun. Specific kind of machine gun. And it has sent the British media, not just the sports media, the British media in general, into, I'm going to say fury again, of... of, of a fury, a fury of absolute shock and anger. Indignation. Yeah, Piers Morgan's tweeting he's a disgrace to his country. I mean, and that he's a terrible role model. Now, you tell me why Raheem got that tattoo. So, and Raheem is not really... He's known for being outspoken and maybe speaking out of turn, but he's not known for being erudite and saying the right thing. And actually, his response here was really good. He came out and said, listen, my father... Uh, died in a gun attack. He was, I think he even used the term gunned down, uh, using a gun, I think akin to the one he's had tattooed on his leg. Yes. So it's more of a symbol of, I think, of remembrance and also a, a symbol of the path that he could have taken. I think he said something about that. Mm. And he also made quite an intelligent mark about how he will never shoot a gun, but he will he shoots with his leg. Yeah. He's actually got the tattoo 
tattooed onto his shooting foot leg. Yeah. So it's symbolic. It's uh, it's metaphorical. I think it's quite intelligent, and I think it's a good role. A good. I think it's a good model. A it's an anti. It's for a kids. It's nothing wrong with having a gun tattoo if it's an anti-gun message. Or if you're gonna then out, you know, outspeak, be outspoken about why you've got it and what it means and how you feel about guns. Yes, which is what he's done. So the the real point here, listeners, is I think something that we did discuss when we talked about Paul Pogba uh, for France, which is there is this young black sportsman, uh, and and it happens a lot with um, entertainers, musicians. Where that the level of criticism is so severe and is so skewed from a level of judgment based in their perceived sartorial choices, their perceived uh, the way they spend their money, the way they act, that the, the criticism I can't help but feel it is based in race and it's based in a in a complete lack of understanding by the old fashioned majority white British media and sports media. And you can, I mean. With Sterling, it's muddied a bit by the fact that he was born in uh, Jamaica. Mm-hmm. So yeah. he's a Jamaican-born, uh, but he moved to Wembley, actually. He lived in Wembley from very early on in his life. He So there, you could have a nationalistic mix-up there that he was, well, he's not, you know, he's not really English, oh, which of course sense. he is. Yeah. Um, Delhi Alley's father didn't stay in England more than a week after Delhi was born. So... There are some. I'm sure that some people's disdain has a, a kind of a seed in that. But I think the majority of people. Would I'm not say excusing to, that. I, I think all. the majority of people abhorrent. would say would say that you and I claiming that Delhi Ali and Raheem Sterling receive more criticism because they're young black men. Uh, people, a lot of people would disagree. A lot of people would say that's just you're you're excusing it because you want you 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 want to shout play the race card and shout racism. And there's also the fact that they are flair players uh, with. Uh, who are certain could you could angle at them they they are overconfident it could be said they both of them uh can celebrate extravagantly both of them don't mind speaking uh, up for themselves and they're both very young mm. they are confident young men uh but i think that that confidence is sometimes skewed against them due to things that are not in their control such as their heritage yeah I, I, I I'm, I'm you know i'm with you on this i wonder what our listeners think maybe we don't need to say any more about it because well, leave a leave a, Do you know what, listeners? Leave a comment either on iTunes or Facebook or uh, on Podbean, and we'll we'll read it and we'll respond. And what I would like to say is that I'm going to keep a keen eye out for what is the reaction to them if they have a good tournament, and what is the reaction to them if they have a bad tournament. Indeed. And speaking of good tournaments, would you like to hear my Russian roulette for England? Yeah, it's Ruben Loftus Cheek. <sighs> so I I have obviously stuff to say about these players, but knowing you and your affinity with the English team. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was born in England so in was 1986 I. <laughs> in Watford in the in the home counties of England and my affinity with England is about as English as it could be. Yeah, was, what do you I was, mean? I was born in 1986 in the Middlesex Hospital. This birthing unit since been shut down. Uh, <laughs> lack of funding. And I have seemingly more affinity with the country because my uh, birthing unit is still open. Yeah, that's it. That was Great. the reason. Okay. Um, so, uh, because of your affinity, I have got things to say about my, my choices here, but I think you should, you should, I'll say the name, you tell me what you think. Ruben Loftus-Cheek, Russian Roulette, go. I think that he... Who is he first? He is a, um, essentially a new player on the scene. He's not uh, particularly young, he's 22 or 21, but he, the reason he's come to such quick prominence is because he's just had his maiden season in the Premier League at Crystal Palace on loan from Chelsea. Famously, if you don't know, Chelsea farm out about 35 players uh, who are youth players, basically. Name them. I, that's another pod. That's another pod. Which you probably could I could do. probably do it. But, um, <laughs> but they don't get a chance in the first team at Chelsea. Ruben Loftus-Cheek has not really been given a chance in the team. He's gone to Crystal Palace. He's got himself into an international reckoning off the back of about 25 games. So he's not going to start, right? There's no way. Not a chance, but he probably will play, especially if England qualify from the first two games and there's a dead rubber at the end. I can. He's a strong. He's about six foot two. He's a. He. Me and Joel often say he's got the build of a centre back. Yeah. For a creative centre midfielder. We often say that. Well, often because he's often in action now. Before he was a complete unknown. So the thing is, if he does have a good game and Chelsea and he goes back to Chelsea and they don't give him assurances about playing first team football, I think someone will buy him. I think there is and no Matt, space for him in that team. You could build a team around him from 
any of the Premier League teams from, I would say, sixth downwards. I don't think... Imagine if Arsenal came in for him. He is a classic Russian roulette. He has not been seen enough to see how good he is or how much kind of control or influence he could have over a whole team. Yep. If you're spinning a barrel and shooting a bullet into your head, Ruben Loftus-Cheek is a good representation of that bullet. Well, it's, it's furious, this link. Is it? I think that he could easily score a couple of goals in the groups and then be moved to Germany even. Yeah, great shout. So, hot to Trotsky. It's boy next door, Jack Butland. Jack Butland? Yeah, I'm just doing this one to annoy you. Look no, at he's him. a handsome boy. He's not. He's just so, he's just so cheery. You can't choose a... If you're going to choose a hot Trotsky, they've got to, you've got to find him a little uh, bit hot. Some people might find him hot. I personally don't. But what, I, might, what might they find hot about him? His boyish charm. He's got a... He looks... You know what? He looks like the kid that... When you play football... This is very specific for those for our, for our listeners who play football. You know when you're playing football and in the park with your mates and none of you are very good? Yes, I know that very well. And you're kicking the ball around and you, you just start to play games and a young guy walks over... Yeah. And much skinnier than he is now. This is what I'm thinking about him when he's 15. Okay. And he walks over and he's like, can I play with you boys? And you're like, oh, okay, yeah, go Okay, on. no one go in hard No on him. one kick him. And then he absolutely runs rings around you. That's what Jack Butland looks like. And I bet, obviously Jack Butland, I should explain to anyone who doesn't know, is the reserve pick goalkeeper. So he won't even play. Uh, he was pushing hard for a number one spot, but he didn't get it. I mean, we, we're still days away from the tournament starting. He they, he could make a late push. Who knows? Pickford might fall out with Southgate. It sure, could happen. But he's not going to. He's going to be the subkeeper. He was also relegated with Stoke this season. I think starting your starting goalkeeper being a relegated player probably not the best idea. Anyway, uh, talking about how he looks, he's got a beard that doesn't quite m- meet up. He's got hair that's sort of kind of boring he he's got a sort of cheeky little grin that looks like you know he is is, is a schoolboy still even though he's about 25 if there was a group of lads going on a, a lads holiday yeah you know, i'm thinking like Cag- kavos magaluf he would be the one that the girls would like because he's got a kind face that's it he's that's handsome it. I mean, he, like i'm talking about the sort of like love island group of lads who've got sleeves and look manicured basically that's his vibe he'd be the one that looked like the nice boy and no one said hot to trotsky had to be hot to trotsky from our perspective i think we did say that except for us we said yes Uh, but nevertheless that's my choice i'm sticking with it no more handsome boys in the squad for there are some much more handsome boys than him i just thought he was an interesting shout great okay what's next moscow mule okay Harry Kane. What? No way. The captain of England has never scored at an international tournament, or a World Cup, sorry. He's never played at a World Cup. He has played at a World Cup. No, he hasn't. Oh, right. He's never scored, never scored at an international tournament. No, he's not. Uh, he's, he's just under a lot of pressure. He was crap uh, in the European Championships. He was. Um, for those of you who didn't see the European Championships two years ago... Uh, Roy Hodgson had him taking corners. Yeah, that wasn't a good choice. He's a number nine, putting your head on those corners, not taking them. But anyway, the point is, he he slightly off the ball at the back end of the season, carrying an injury maybe. How many goals did he get on the last day of the season? On the last day of the season? Yeah, when Tottenham won 5-4 against Leicester. One. Just one? Lamella got to... Oh, I don't know. Well, maybe he is off the boil then. He's not on the boil, certainly. Anyway, my point is, Moscow Mule, the weight of the nation on his shoulders. He's already said he thinks England can win the World Cup. And uh, he's in a situation where, genuinely, he's he's marked himself out as a potential Moscow Mule by taking on the onus of being captain and being the number one striker. Don't you think it is his responsibility as captain to say to the press, it's an obligatory thing you have to say, we could win the World Why? Cup? You can't have the captain turning around and saying, well, and we're not going to win. The captain could turn around and say, if we play really, really well, there's no limit to how far we can go in the tournament. That's a much better way of putting it. That is that is politician speak, Joel. I mean, there's no place for that in football. And there's no place for it on the Absolute Worldie podcast, which is why I'm categorically <laughs> saying, Harry Kane, Moscow Mule. the other G's in group G, Joel. Um they're all they're all G's in the sense of being gangsters. <laughs> That's exactly what we implied. We are cool. Okay, next team up in group G, Belgium. Belgium. Or the Le Diable Rouge. Oh, the Red Devils. The Red Devils. So many Red Devils. Which is interesting if you think about the English team that are called the Red Devils, Manchester United. They have two Belgians in their team. They do indeed. They are Romelu Lukaku and Marouane Fellaini. Romelu Lukaku and Matt Fellaini in the squad. And maybe soon, Alderweireld if they get their way. Yeah, nicking him from Spurs. Putin's Pravda points. 
First one? Yes. This word might not make sense to you, Joel. Okay, well, I like words that don't make sense to me, Carl. We've said a few on this podcast. <laughs> Mattress gate. I'll be honest with you, Carl. I think I know what this is. Let me show you to. a picture. What do you see here, Joel? I see a lot of mattresses in cellophane with a Belgian flag atop them and some names. The names I can make out include Dries Mertens and Nasser Chadley. I can also make out up here Christian Benteke. Yeah. And Johan Castiles, a goalkeeper. Basically, this is a great pre World Cup story, and I think you're going to love sharing this one, Vlad, with your friends yeah. over, a, th- over a lovely dinner. Or the rest of you, non Vladites. With your friends in the pub. Vladites. Yeah, that's people that like Vlad. <laughs> so just Trump then. Well, he's, yeah, he's a Vladite. Oh, right, cool. Um, Would that be Trumpo's first <laughs> name? That's a Trump bot. Tr- Trump bot. Would that be Trumpo's first name? Tr- what, Vladite Trumpo? Vladite Trumpo. <laughs> Would now. <laughs> a mattress company in Belgium <laughs> tweeted a lovely photo. They were very proud uh, and honoured to be providing the mattresses for the Belgian national team. So they, uh, they've tweeted a photo showing the mattresses in a pile ready to go on its way to Russia. Attached to those mattresses were the names of players who the mattresses belonged to, obviously. But Kyle, was this... Obviously, this, this happened after they'd said who was in their squad, right? Well, yes and no. What? They, the, for those of you who don't know, each World Cup squad has got 23 players. Belgium, at that point, had announced a provisional squad of 28 players. Now, quick people that jumped onto this tweet, uh, journalists included, saw that certain names were missing from the pile. So five players were Mats Sells, Christian Cabasele, Jordan Lukaku, Leander Dendonka, and Adnan Yanezai. They did not have mattresses. So therefore, it was as if the squad had been inadvertently announced before the Belgian that, national football team wanted it to happen. In social media, that is a rookie error. Indeed, but are you ready for the plot twist? Y- yes, twist me. So, Roberto Martinez, the coach of Belgium, mm-hmm. was uh, faced this question. Why are you sending mattresses for 25 people when you've still got 28, and how come we know who they are? And he said, no, 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 no. There's been a huge misunderstanding. I can guarantee you that those names on those mattresses, <laughs> they, are, they, they do not equate to the names I have in my mind for my squad. So, the plot twist was, when the squad was announced... Yes. Leander Dendonka... Who, by the way, I didn't say it just a second ago. What a name that is. Dendonka. another good name, Adnan Yanezai, which if you try and type into a, a Word document, comes up with Jazz Jazz Janetzai. <laughs> they were both in the squad, Joel. You expect me to be able to concentrate when you've just said the words Jazz Jazz Janetzai. Janet, sorry for listening. Joel... <laughs> That is a huge plot twist. <laughs> yes, that is a plot so twist. So basically, just to save face, it seems that Roberto Martinez, to prove for himself to be the authority about what was going on, dropped two players and included two more. Just... Are you saying, are you saying your, your theory here is that he they had accidentally released who was going to be in the World Cup squad uh, via mattresses, and then because they were so embarrassed, or because Martinez was so embarrassed, he went back on that and changed who he was going to be taking. You otherwise you explained to me why there were mattresses for players actually named who then were dropped. Good why point. would they spend money on the? I'm guessing these mattresses have been built to the towards the body's weight yeah, yeah, and yeah, their yeah, shape. Yeah. That is amazing. What idiots, yeah, but, Carl? That is an excellent Putin Pravda point. Well, it does beg the question: Will Adnan Yanazai and Leander Dendonka's performances be affected by the fact they're sleeping on someone else's mattresses? <laughs> Next Pravda point. Next Pravda point. This Belgian team has been touted as a golden generation. Yeah, love that. I love it when generations get golden. So this wasn't just there. This uh, It's the same squad, essentially. Though obviously, there are some mattress gate issues. But in two years ago, in the European Championships, much of these players were playing. And they were also touted as a golden generation then, until they got thrashed by Wales. So I want to ask what you think that term, what do you mean by the term golden generation when you use it, Joel? Uh, a golden generation is a, a group of, within, within the context of football, a group of players who come through at the same time. They, uh, they arrive in the youth team around the same time. They come through the youth squads and the national team is made up of these players who are expected, nay, if they're a golden generation, almost required to win things. That's right. The, it's that almost requirement that often comes up a cropper because it it's almost become a poison chalice this term 
Golden Generation is also, it's kind of oxymoronic now because they don't win. If you get called a Golden Generation, you do not get gold. You barely get bronze. Can you name me some others? I'll just tell you. England had a Golden Generation about 2010. Ah, the the end of Lampard Gerrard? Yep, that whole team. Like, you think about from the, uh, Rio Ferdinand, John Terry, um, Frank Lampard, Stephen Gerrard, Joe Cole... Uh, all these players were touted as a golden generation. They didn't win anything. Right. Portugal had had two uh, iterations of golden generation in our lifetime. And it was just this most recent one, thanks to the late goal by Eder, who's now gone missing in the European Championships final. They finally have won something. But really, golden generation means... So what you're saying awkward. is your final... This is your, I don't know if it's your final, but you're putting proud a point about... Uh... Uh, Belgium is that you are touting them not to live up to the expectations that people have. People I, have high expectations for this Belgium team. I think if you're sitting there in the pub and you hear someone say, well, it is a golden generation, you should go up, up, up. You should probably keep it to yourself, mate. You don't want to jinx them. And then that'll make you look really clever, even though you might not know what you've just said. Nice. Um, next point. Next Pravda point. It is possible to do a Premier League 11 from the Belgium squad, i.e. 11 players from the Belgium squad that all play in the Premier League. Yes. Can you name it, Joel? I think I probably can. That was a, a genuinely changed my mind halfway through that sentence. No, go say card. Goalkeeper. Can. Yeah, you, you say position, I'll say player. Thibaut Courtois. Yep, and a backup. Uh, uh, Simone Mignolet. Perfect. Back three. Uh, company Alderweireld Vertonghen. It's going well so I far. I should say these full names for people who don't know what any of this means, but I, I'm not going to yet. Go on. Let's go for a, a midfield five, a three-five-two. This is going to be okay. So in the in on the left, Nasser Chadley. Why not? Oh, he's just been relegated. To be fair, no, he's kept, we, we, we're including him. Okay, <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, Dembele, Musa Dembele of Spurs, Marwan Fellaini of Manchester United, and I'll come back to the other centre midfielder, right wing. Oh gosh, we'll come back to that as well. Up front, Lukaku and Hazard. We're moving Hazard to a wing position. So Hazard will go to the right wing. It makes no sense, but that'll do. But his teammate for Chelsea. Uh, his teammate for Chelsea, otherwise known as Michi Bashuai, is going up front alongside Lukaku. Uh-huh, which leaves you one player, the one player you've missed, their best player probably, one of the best players in the Premier League. Kevin De Bruyne. Congratulations, Joel. Wow. You've done it. I love these little games I set you. Yeah, they're really good. Put you on the spot. They, they make me look like I don't know enough about football to be doing a football podcast. I think that all of our listeners will just be amazed by the fact that you put eleven random players into a into a starting lineup. Well done. Thank you. Uh, final Pravda point for Belgium. Shock omission. Claxon. What's that sound like? Oh. <laughs> you what? That's it. You what? Oh. So we've had who have we already spoken you about. What? We spoke about Leroy Sane, uh, omitted for Germany. We spoke about a whole host of French you players. What? All the French players. You what? And who is the Belgian one? Christian Benteke. No, it's Raja Nyongalan. Uh, what? <laughs> it's Raja Nyongalan. <laughs> it's a hard name. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Go on. He is. He was. He's been completely ousted from the squad. He was furious. He completely, uh, in his fury and his wrath immediately retired from international football, which is always, I think, a really hasty move. He's mi- He'll be missed because he's a great player, but also excellent hairstyle. Spiky blonde craziness. Yeah, it is good. Uh, tats, tats for days, covered in he's tattoos. He's got a neck sleeve. Yeah. Always who, threatening. Who doesn't like I think he's got a bleeding heart on the Adam's apple. Perfect. And also smokes. Famously smokes like a chimney, which I love in a professional footballer. I think more professional footballers should smoke. So he is the classic shock omission, but I've got my own one, and it's Jordan Lukaku. Jordan, the younger brother of Romelu Lukaku. He's a left-back, he plays for Lazio, and why I'm missing him is because it denies us, denies the the whole world, the beauty of World Cup brotherhood. World Cup brotherhood. And we've had some classic recently, we've had the AU brothers, we've had the Torres, we've had the De Boers, we've had the Boatengs. They actually, the Boatengs, Kevin Prince and Jerome, actually played for different nations. Kevin Prince, Boateng played for Germany and Jerome Boateng... No, other way around. Kevin Prince, Boateng played for Ghana and Jerome Boateng played for Germany. That's right. Nation of the father, Ghana. Nation of the mother, Germany. Hmm. Um, so we could have had another one. That's a shame. That's a shame. And is that your final Putin Pravda point? It is. Well, let's hear about your Belgium-Russian roulette then. Well, we talked about them already. It's Leander Dendonka.
with the name for days. Dendonka. Leander Dendonka sounds like a mix between Shakespeare and uh, a wrestler. <laughs> he does. Dendonka sounds like he hits people's heads. Yeah. He donks them. Right. <laughs> Uh, he's being linked with West Ham already, but don't sign him before the World Cup, guys, because that's not how that's we do it. our rule on the um, Absolute Worldy podcast. He is one of the only players in the Belgium squad, as we already said. They, they all play in England, basically. So one of the players that none of the English money men will have heard of and therefore will be looking at. Right. Uh, he's a decent player. He's only 23. He's a midfielder, um, powerhouse like Axel Witzel, with another brilliant name. And if he does get signed, b- brilliant terrorist chance. Can you do one for Dendonka? Leander, Leander, Dendonkin all the way. <laughs> Moving on, hot to Trotsky, is Thomas Vermeulen. Oh, yeah. Nice, nice. Thomas Vermeulen has got, again, I think something that we both are finding attractive is the piercing eyes. Piercing eyes. He's got also, blue like, eyes. He's a hard man. Yeah. He, most, of our, most of the hot to Trotskys have been quite sort of soft on the eye, but he's a real hard man. Yeah, the thing about Vermeulen is that you're used to seeing him furious because he played for Arsenal for so long and was berating his fellow defenders and midfielders for, for basically not living up to his standards. Mm. He then moved to Barcelona, where he doesn't actually play very often. And he's chill now. He's smiling. No, really? He's got, That's nice. He's got a real, like, he's got one of those pouts is very uh, full he's a very handsome guy yeah no I, I, I encourage people to search for Thomas Vermeulen using whichever search engine you feel necessary also people call him Tommy Vermeulen which I think sounds Ooh, real heart Tommy Vermeulen sounds like a porn star or like a high school I was going to say like a high school heartthrob job <laughs> right, let's not get sorry. crass um, and the final one is my Moscow Mule Moscow Mule for Belgium it's Vincent Company. No, not Vinny. he's old he's crocked he's a nice guy but I think he's going to finish last for Belgium in this tournament why? In a foot race with any attacker on an international level, he's going to lose. He's got two uh, two defenders alongside him for um, for Malen, no, for Tongan and Alderweireld, who are more than able to cover for him. But he's a liability in this team, and he's an emotional man. I can see him getting injured, refusing to stop playing, and costing them a goal. So is he the captain as well? He is still the captain. He's already wow. injured, and and he's and he should. Have, I can't say should have. It's not my choice. But Martinez already renowned for being very. Uh, What's the word? Uh, sticking to his guns, basically. Yeah. He's refused to replace company, and I think that could cost them both. With yeah. Finishing off, Group G. Panama. Panama. They're known as Marea Roja, or the Red Tide. The Red... Oh, nice. The Red Tide is coming in. That I like that, because again, it's that collective thing. A tide is huge. It's all-encompassing. Yeah. Also, when I think of Panama, I think of canals, and there are no tides in the canal. But there are. Are there? I think the, the Panama Canal is so vast that it connects two oceans. It's bound to have a bit of a yeah, ripple. Right. But also, their other nickname is Los Cana- Canaleros. The people who own the canal. The canalmen. The canalmen, lovely. Or the canals people. <laughs> I don't want to make it just men, although we are talking exclusively about a male-played tournament. Anywho, <laughs> Putin's Pravda points. <laughs> what are Panamanian exports? What are the most famous Panamanian Panamanian? Exports. Canals and revolutions. No! You're forgetting two. Oh, right. Hats. Oh, yeah, Panama hats. And papers. Panama... Wow, that's tenuous. That's not so much an export as a a controversy. Well, okay, well, here's the latest most famous export. Roman Torres. Who is Roman Torres? I've never heard of him. He is the captain of a centre-back. He's a man-mountain. He scored the winning goal in their qualification, their, their, their ultimate qualification match he scored the winning goal and he got them to their first world cup this is their first world cup fantastic so i'll tell you what happened in this in this game right the last game in their group they were playing trinidad and tobago no they weren't they were playing costa rica costa rica sorry not trinidad and tobago but trinidad and tobago were playing usa right important usa had to beat trinidad and tobago and hope that costa rica beat Panama. Right. Otherwise, the USA wouldn't qualify and Panama would. Correct. Panama were losing. Okay. They so got, it's they, looking good for the USA at this point in this narrative. They got an equaliser. Did that? What does that mean? It meant that Panama still needed one more goal. Oh my God. There was 87 minutes on the clock. Three minutes left. Three minutes well, left. Well, they're going out. They're not going to go to the World Cup. It's they're not America. going out. They're going all in. They all push forward. Centre-back for, for Panama. Long ball. 
headed on kind of aimlessly by a striker who just hopes if he gets the ball anywhere in the penalty area, someone, somewhere will be there to just try and kick it towards oh, goal. the narrative, the narrative. The ball bounces just out of the reach of the Costa Rican defender. Yeah. But he's like, it's okay, the goalie's got this. No, he doesn't. Oh my God. The centre-back, Roman Torres, has continued to run all the way from the back on his last legs, reaches out and absolutely thunders the ball into the back of the net. Amazing. Meanwhile, Trinidad and Tobago have just beaten the USA. USA did not qualify for their first World Cup in 32 years. USA not A-OK. USA, on your bike. Panama, on your barge. (laughs) You're in. You've made it. The sheer look of panic on your face as you realised you didn't know what to say. (laughs) So this is something you might want to listen to, Vlad. The president of Panama declared a national holiday after their dramatic qualification. That's so so great when it means something. Well, yeah, and also Putin, Vlad, Vlad, if Russia even just win a game, everyone's going to be happy. Don't get all ultra competitive and, and act like they have to win another. Just take your your vic- small victories. Just declare a, a nice Russia victory day. Russia victory day. Sure, why not? Um, so that is Panama in their first ever World Cup. I'm a t- fantastic Putin. There is one point. other team. I'm re- very excited about Roman Torres now. Hang on. There's one other team that are at their first World Cup. This this World Cup in Russia. Who is it? Oh God. Oh yes, you mentioned this in another uh, episode. Well, remember, Joel. It's Iceland. It is. Let's move on. Russian roulette. Russian roulette. Okay, I've really been scouring over this squad, looking for players who I think are going to have an impact. And I've come up with Jamie Panedo. Jamie Panedo. He was the only Panamanian I could find in in the squad who played in Europe. Is it bad that when you say Panamanian, when I think about what someone from Panama might be called, I can only think of the Animaniacs, and so I want him to be a Panamaniac. That's fine. I think of Pomeranian dogs, which are the little <laughs> floofy ones. I love them. Um, he's the only one who plays in Europe, Joel. Right. He's the a thir- only one? Yeah. He's a wow. 34-year-old goalkeeper, and he plays for Dinamo Bucharest in Romania. Right. Um, the last World Cup was a Panamanian big... Panamanian in Romania. So I'm that's a Panamanian. A... I am a Panamanian, Panamanian that was good. That was good. I was, I, what I was doing was good. You were just muffling over the top of yeah, my yeah. wonderful song. Sorry. Um, so I was talking about goalkeepers, John. You were. He's a 34-year-old goalkeeper that plays for Dinamo Bucharest. Go. Talking about 34-year-old uh, Central American goalkeepers. Last World Cup, there was a big boom for them, specifically Kayla Navas. Yeah. He had a wonderful World Cup for Costa Rica and was a, basically an, an unknown before the tournament. After the tournament... They get through to the quarterfinals. He signs for Real Madrid and has become one of the best goalkeepers in the world. I think that uh, Jamie Penedo could do the same. Yes. I mean, there are lots of Premier League clubs that are looking for a goalkeeper. Let's say say that this Panama team, pure romance, pure narrative, get out of the groups, get to the quarters. He is a shoe-in for Liverpool. Wow, great shout. Chelsea might be looking for a new goalkeeper. Fabulous. Courtois might be moving to Madrid. Um, Even Man United. That is a fantastic Russian roulette, a 34-year-old Panamanian goalkeeper. Excellent work. Hot to Trotsky? Hot to Trotsky. It's back to Roman. Roman Torres. Roman Torres. See, Joel doesn't really uh, I don't know, know much about him. No. Have a look at some of I don't know what picks. he looks like. Here's him, topless, <laughs> getting selfies all after the qualification. Guys, I know I say it a lot on this podcast, but look this up. This topless photo of... Uh, he is a giant of a man. He is huge. He's covered in tattoos. He's got... Little dreadlocks. He's got quite big dreadlocks that are kind of blonde on the ends. Yeah. And he's got a, a, bit, a soft beard and he's got a winning smile. Yeah. Oh, he is He's he is hot to Trotsky. He plays for Seattle Look Sounders in the uh, MLS. That, what's his belly tattoo say? Uh, Some... Something in Spanish. Right. Fair enough. Uh, but look at that. What it's a... his hand on his heart there. That's he's just an really... absolute hero. Yeah. He is a hero for Panama and he's my hero. Final, final category, Moscow Mule. Well, they've got the most oldies I think I've seen in a squad for a long time. Oldies? They've got nine players over 30. Wow, that is... As I've said earlier, either in this episode or a previous one, you do play three games in ten days in the World Cup, which is a lot of football. And in contrast, England have only got three players over 30. Over 30, yeah, right. So, uh, Roman Emperor, as I'm going to call him now, Roman Torres, his uh, counterpart in the defence is a guy called Felipe Baloy. It might be Baloy, B-A-L-O-Y. He's 37. Ooh, dear. 
And he, yeah, and he, I'm, um, he's, you know what's going to happen. It's going to be nil-nil. It's going to be near the end of the game. Emperor Roman is going to bound up field. Yeah, to, to, to repeat his extraordinary qualifying fate of knocking out the yeah. USA. Yeah, he's going to miss the ball. The other team going to break and leaving a 37-year-old alone oh. at the back. Who do you think the Panamanians are going to blame? Uh, their hero or Paul Baloya? Felipe Baloya. Is it Baloya or Baloy? Let's say Balois. Balois. Felipe Balois. Poor Felipe Balois. He is a Panamanian, Panamaniac, Moscow mule. Groovy greatness. That's G done. And we come to the end of another fantastic, I mean, I can't really say that, can I? I thought it was good. It was good. It was good. Another uh, an episode, another episode ends. And if you have listened and you have liked it, then guys, we do encourage you before you come back and join us for our final group preview in the next episode to please like, share, rate and comment. All of that goes a long way to helping us uh, grow our listenership. We are new to this. Um, we're really enjoying it. Um, and we're really enjoying reaching out to people that we know who we think would like it. We want to reach out to people that we don't. And we want people who to... Who we think would hate it. <laughs> I mean, any strong emotions. Anything that leads people to actually enjoying it. You know, you can enjoy things you hate. Yeah. Essentially, do all that and then come back next time and we'll be getting ahead of Group H. Bye. The Absolute Worldy Podcast is produced by Joel Samuels and Kyle Ross. Our theme tune is courtesy of Adam Janotowazowski, and all other music is non-copyright and licensed under Creative Commons. Thanks again for listening, and do stay tuned for a small taste of what's to come in our next episode. And Papa Booba Diop, best name ever, comes from deep to smash home. Comes from Diop. Kick ball with fur.